0: Our scripture today is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And this will probably sound fairly familiar. It's a common uh, scripture, one of those beloved scriptures that we read from time to time. And so this is Matthew, uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last Sunday, after church, we got a message from our son. Can we come by and visit with you for a little bit? And we were always open to our children stopping by for a visit. And, and we knew there was news, and we knew the topic of the news. We just didn't know if it was good news or bad news. And so they came over, my son and daughter-in-law and our seven-year-old granddaughter, the oldest of our grandchildren, and and then we have two foster grandchildren that they care for, they're both infants, and so they all came over, and we're just sitting around the family room, and um, I think Nancy and I were like on the edge of our seat the whole time, and we're just chit-chatting, we're like, and finally, the seven-year-old couldn't stand it. She said, Dad, when are you going to tell them your news? (laughs) And my son told us that beginning in July, he will enter Mizzou's medical school. Isn't that cool? We're so excited for him. And thank you. Uh, we're, we're really excited for him to, to, to go on to this journey in his life and, and for his children to go with him. And you know, okay, so, you know, as a dad, you feel like you kind of won the American dream, right? You go, gosh, I wasn't smart enough to make it. Maybe I'll have a kid that will. And I got one of those. I wonder what my dad thought, (laughs) because well, he had another son that was pre med but decided not to go. Anyway, you know, education has been kind of an important thing in our extended family, and, and for Nancy and I as well. Nancy has her master's degree. I have my master's degree. Um, Nancy's father was dean of education at Auburn and at, at Florida State, and Nancy's brother is a dean at a university up in Wisconsin, and, and um, I have a brother that has a master's. My older brother has a master's degree that is so top secret that we can't even tell you what the topic was of his thesis, and then I have a, a younger brother who has a Ph.D. in something like Asian studies or something like that. He's fluent in Chinese. He's the one that was smart enough to make it into med school, just didn't go there. So education's kind of a big deal. But Nancy and I never, never pushed it on our children um, uh, to the point that we didn't demand that they go off to college. And as it turns out, they didn't at first. Every one of our children graduated and then did something else for a while. I mean, there was some college, but, okay, so my son wasn't really serious about it at first. Um, and uh, he, okay, a lot like his dad in that matter. But um, he, um, he kind of was in and was out, and, and, and finally he got a... a, a, a tech degree and became an emergency medical technician and then went on to become a paramedic and finally got his bachelor's degree uh, just this past year at the age of 31. He'll be 32 when he enters med school. And, and our oldest daughter um, she she became an LPn first and and then she uh, became a uh, um, uh, an r n after getting a bachelor 's degree and now she 's done some work toward a, a master 's in nursing and, and, uh, and then our youngest um, she she worked for head Start program and then went and got an associate 's degree so she could be a, a teacher in the head Start program um, so they all did that later they all did that after they moved out of the house they all did that after I had no longer had to pay for it, <laughs> so they carry the debt, not me. Um, I might have been the smarter one anyway um, uh, so we never pushed that education on them what we What we pushed for was to learn what they needed to learn and, and to grow in the way they needed to grow, to, to come to an understanding of how they best do whatever job they felt called to and led to. to, to uh, and, and we all do that in life, right? Um, even though you gradu- graduate, doesn't mean finished, right? We've all figured that out. If, if you go through college um, and you graduate, it means you're just done learning what they're teaching. Now you got to keep learning, don't you? I mean, that's been my experience. Here, I'm 60 years old, and I'm in the middle of a three-year class program to learn how to how to do best practices in the church. It's. It, I'm still learning. I'm still growing, and that's that's what you do when you when you go out and get a degree, uh, get a, a job, is that that you 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 learn from others what are the best practices, and then you practice them and figure out what works and what doesn't, and then you go learn more. And then you practice it. And then there's this this back and forth of 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 learning and practicing, of 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 getting growing in your knowledge and understanding, and then continuing it in the way that you practice it. Our, our scripture today is part of an illustration of that, that broader idea that we see in the whole book of Matthew, that is a learning and a practicing. It's it's back and forth. Matthew Matthew plays with this theme. It's the story of Jesus. But but the way he tells it, the literary way that he puts it together, helps us understand that Jesus taught, and then he showed them how to do it. And then he taught, and then he showed them how to do it. Back and forth. There was Learning and practice, and and so uh, while this this portion, um, the 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 beatitudes, is a part of what they call the five discourses that you find in the book of Matthew, and by discourses it means five teaching times. And, and I just picked that, that selection to read uh, because it's so beloved by, I mean, you know, we got Facebook memes about this, this passage of Scripture. People just love this blessed part, the Beatitudes of Scripture. But it's the beginning of one of those discourses. And I I wanted to just kind of share with you how that works. And um, the way we know that that Matthew wrote it in this way is that at the beginning of each one of these five discourses, he introduces it, and then at the end of the discourse, he concludes it. For an example from, uh, from this particular one, Matthew 5, 2, which I read, it says, and he began to teach them. And then if you fast forward to Matthew 7, 28, you'll find that it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things. And at each one of these five, Matthew introduces it, he began to teach, and concludes it with, when he was done, and there's that back and forth. So let me just show you how this works in the book of Matthew, this practice and learning. And oddly enough, it begins with practice. Uh, and it, because in Matthew 1 to 4, the first four chapters, we have the practice part. It, it's, it begins with the infancy of Jesus and carries through to uh, Jesus being in the wilderness and being tempted. And then Matthew 5 begins this long teaching, this learning time. The, the apostles are learning from Jesus, and, and that's the Sermon on the Mount is what that's called. It's not just the Beatitudes. It's, it's three chapters, 5, 6, and 7 where they talk about things like adultery, and it talks, it says, you know, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you to turn the other cheek. And, and, and it talks about the love for enemies, and it talks about giving to the needy. And, and, and so, there's, what it is, is Jesus is teaching the people how the world is different from his perspective. The world is different from God's perspective, and we need you in that headspace, to hear the world from, from a different perspective. I mean, after all, how, much, how many of us think that, that blessed are us? Uh, blessed, I feel blessed when I'm persecuted. What? But Jesus wants us in that headspace. Now, be clear. When you're persecuted for righteousness, for, for doing what's right, when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, Not when you're persecuted because you're an idiot. I shouldn't say that. Not when you're persecuted for the bad things you do, but when you're persecuted for doing right and for doing things in the name of Christ, you're blessed. Now, that blessing, that feeling of blessing may not come in the moment, and it may not come till eternity, but Jesus is wanting you to understand that what you do on earth, the way you practice these things of God on earth are important. So learn this, get in the right headspace for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he goes and does that throughout that, that Matthew, throughout that Sermon on the Mount. And then we go to the practice time, Matthew 8 and 9. And in the midst of that, there's many healings, there's, there's this uh, forgiveness of a paralyzed man, there's, there's other things that happen, this, this activity of Jesus. And then there's this learning time. We call this, in Matthew 10, we call the little commission because there's a great commission at the end of the book. But the little commission is that Jesus is going to say to the 12, he's going to say, go out and teach this stuff. So they're about to get busy with their practice. But before they do, there's a whole chapter of encouragement and instruction, the whole chapter 10. There's a learning time in that. And again, the learning time is followed by uh, uh, practice. Matthew eleven and twelve, and and what we find is Jesus has these ongoing disagreements with the Pharisees. I, this is this is always a caution to us. Jesus's greatest disagreements were with people who were religious. I, I think we just own that as a as a as a caution to us. His greatest disagreements were with people who were trying to practice their faith as best they understood. Maybe they needed to change their practices to fit the faith. Maybe they were they, maybe they were off by a little bit, and that was where Jesus had his disagreements the most. And I think that's just a, a caution we ought to be aware of. You know, I, um, I I'm aware that. Anytime you go to a uh, a sports event or a a large gathering of people, there's always going to be someone on the street corner who's shouting at you about about Jesus and that you got to turn or burn, right? And and I just I I think that practice was a really good idea in the 1960s and before. I'm not sure it works for anybody anymore. I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know that anybody comes to faith today because somebody on a street corner accosted them about their faith. Maybe. Or maybe they needed to go back and learn new ideas. Not that they need to learn something new about Jesus. Jesus is the same, but the culture has changed. And we've got to change with the culture in order to address it we got to learn before we go back and practice again. And when our practice works great, when it stops working, we go back and learn again. And learn and practice and learn and practice. Where were we? And and then there's the learning time in in Matthew 13. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like. And that's Matthew 13 has a lot of those pieces where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Things like that. And then there's a practice time from Matthew 14 to 17, and in this is the feeding of the five thousand is a part of that. There's the faith of the Canaanite woman. There's there's uh, Jesus asking Peter, "Who do you say that I am?" And there's the transfiguration, all a part of that section, that that practice time. And then we move to another, and that's uh, another learning time, and that's Matthew 18. And this is often called the church discourse. Because uh, basically this is uh, uh, Jesus um, saying that, you know, if any of you cause one of these of mine to stumble, it's better that a, a millstone be tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. He, he says things like um, uh, uh, the lost sheep, you know, who, who of you wouldn't leave the 99 to go find the one lost sheep? It's, a, it's what the church is supposed to do. And, and, and he talks about how we deal with sin in the church community. He doesn't say church, but the implications are clear. When you read it after the book of Acts, where the church is formed, it's clear that this is, this is how we think about how we relate to one another within the church. From there, he goes on to uh, practice again, Matthew 19 to 22. And there's this ongoing battle with the Pharisees Again. And the temple authorities at this point, because he's in Jerusalem when this takes place. And then there's some some instructions for the apostles. And then there's a learning time. And this is Matthew 23 to 25, and the end times with with implications for, for today's times. It's, it's an interesting section, it really is, because while Jesus teaches about, you know, a, a future at the end of all mankind, you know, the new heaven and the new earth, and when he's teaching about that, when, when he comes back, he's teaching about that, and it's clear he's talking about today. Not, I mean, he's talking about his day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. He's talking about how we live our lives with our mind focused on what will one day come. Again, get into your headspace and, and 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 focus on on what the future looks like and live it today. Live it out today. You know, one of those um, one of those passages that I, I just really like is is uh, um, in Matthew twenty five the the separation of the sheep and the goats. And so he he, he takes a future moment. The, the sheep are those who are blessed by God, and the goats are those that are going the other direction, right? And and so. Uh, Jesus says, you know, sheep, enter into my kingdom because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was, th- uh, I, I, I'm losing, I, there's six of them. And, um, but, but what he's saying is in the future time, those who God recognizes and blesses the most are those who lived it out. In the way they fed people and and clothed people and 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 gave them good water to drink and 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 cared for them when they were sick or in prison. It, it's it's end time with right now in mind or right now in mind with end time, focus as a possibility as a as a future going to happen. I often teach the confirmation class um, that that there's that passage that's earlier that's that uh, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's actually from Mark. Matthew says it a little bit differently, records Jesus saying it a little bit differently, but the same idea. Two, two commandments as one. Love God, love your neighbor. Well, the next question is, okay, how do I love my neighbor? I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, etc. So that's the learning time, and then we get into that final practice time, Matthew 26 to 28. Jesus is anointed at Bethany, anointed for what's about to happen, and that is the Last Supper, the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And then it concludes with the Great Commission, and I'm going to argue at the end of this, I'm going to argue that the Great Commission is actually the sixth discourse that's not done yet. Just, I'll get there, just wait for it. <laughs> so... So, if you, if you think about this, this, this back and forth, Matthew is clear in the way that he presents how Jesus taught is that the apostles were learning, it's not, just, it's not just learning, but it's action. It's not either or. It's not words but no action, okay? James, in the book of James, James tells us, do not uh, merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Don't just listen to the words of Christ. Live it. Do it. As a matter of fact, if you only listen and you don't live it, you are living in self-deception. Do you see that? You You are deceiving yourselves if all you do is hear it but don't live it out. This is where I think, um, uh, you know, people, people that are on the academic level who have no idea what's happening in the real world get that, that accusation of ivory tower. Not, not every academic is like that. I, I don't want to accuse every academic as being that, but, but the ivory tower is the, I exist in this, in this place so high up and above that I don't even know what's going on in the world, but let me teach you. Well, Jesus' teaching have real-world application. So it's, it's not, let me teach you something that you can just put in your heart, but also put it in your hands, put it on your mouth so you speak it. The other side of that, though, would be action with no words. In Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything that you do in the name of Jesus, all the good stuff that you do in the name of Jesus. Oftentimes, um, I, I, I hear people say, you know, I, I just want to work in, in mission and care for people, but I, I don't want to talk about God. It's not an option where Scripture is concerned. The mission that we do as Living Word, that we do individually as we go out and do it, but also collectively as we participate in it together, we do in the name of Christ. Not either or. Not if you want to if you, if, if you do it and, and nobody hears Jesus in it, that's not, a, that's not a part of it. What we do, we do in the name of Christ. And we do publicly, we do it in the name of Christ. And I know that's uncomfortable for you, but it's uncomfortable because of your perception of the people in culture that don't accept that. Well, guess what? If they don't accept that, they might persecute you, and you're blessed. So, Jesus is giving us these best practices, this this learning and then practice. And we need to learn the best practices of our faith, learning and practice. You know, I've got to stop making fun of doctors now because I'm about to have one as a son. But, but, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, well, they're just practicing medicine, right? Guess what, folks? We're just practicing faith. We're just trying to get it right. And when we don't, we step back and learn more. You know, Nancy and I had this this great frustration when when our grand, one granddaughter was born, Vivian. Vivian was born at uh, uh, 23 weeks, four days, very early. Uh, 22 weeks, four days. This is why I have my wife here to give me hand signals. 22 weeks, four days. I remember just the other day in Newsweek, they 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 had an article um, on on golly, look at this woman who who took her child home who was born at at, at 22 weeks, six days. I'm like, that ain't nothing. 22 weeks, four days, uh, um, which was very early. And um, Nancy, uh, Nancy and I, myself especially, got really frustrated that it didn't seem like the doctors had a clue what they were doing. They were guessing along the way. We're going to try this, they would say. And I'm saying to my daughter, we got to get her out of that hospital and take her to some place where they know what they're doing. Until one doctor informed me, you know, there are about 10 children in the history of the world who have survived being born that early. Yeah, we're guessing, but we're using pretty good knowledge to guess. We're practicing what we've learned, and and we're, we're sure hoping we get it right. I wonder how that applies to us as well. We get it wrong, Christianity, we get it wrong. Once in a while, and, and when we do, it's time to go back and start learning some more. Learning about, about people, about others, about about how we react to, to the world around us, how we best practice our faith. Now I told you I think there's a sixth discourse, and that's Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And, and, and the reason I think there's a, a sixth discourse is it begins the way all the other discourses begin but it doesn't conclude. Listen to this. It says, um, beginning at verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all right, a crowd had gathered around. This is after the, the resurrection. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. Jesus came to them and said, so that sounds like the beginning of a discourse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them. They need to learn. And remember, I'm, uh, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But there's no conclusion there. There's not that, that second part of a discourse that said, and then when he finished, it just stops there. Maybe that's because, I mean, that's the end of the book. Matthew 28, there is no chapter 29 unless we're it. Maybe we're chapter 29. We've just learned from Jesus. Here's what I expect of you now. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach, Teach them everything I've taught you. Recognize I'm always with you. Now go practice it go do it. Go get it right. Like he's saying, all that you've learned, now go live it. Go practice it. Amen and amen.